0: Good morning. It's good to see you folks again. It's always good to be at Parker Ford Church. Uh, greetings from Cornerstone Christian Fellowship and the elders and the folks there. Thanks for releasing Tim to be at Cornerstone today. Uh, such a great minister of the gospel. And I know that they'll being encouraged by him. Uh, right now. So, um, yeah, it's a privilege to be here with you as well. And um, I'm excited about um, what God is doing in uh, the body here at PFC and excited about today. As you can see in your bulletin, like the title of my sermon is The Danger of Dichotomies. Um, And uh, we're going to talk today about dichotomies. There's two kinds of people in the world, those who think in dichotomies and those who don't, which is a joke. Um, (laughs) So... uh, the idea of a dichotomy. A dichotomy, by way of definition, is is a division, right? It's a, it's a division by apparently contrasting um, things, and um, so on. Some levels, thinking in dichotomies is completely unavoidable. You know, I mean, we're we're, we're human, and um, not all dichotomies are necessarily bad, uh, but false dichotomies are certainly things that we exist in, and and all dichotomies across the board tend to polarize things, and so like. Even 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 a good dichotomy can be... It's It still is going to set one thing over here and one thing over here. Um, so it oftentimes has a lot to do with values. Uh, it oftentimes has a lot to do with assumptions and ways that we approach the world that we don't even know that we approach the world. And so I want to talk a little bit about Dichotomies today, and how dichotomous thinking can can be dangerous. Um, I plan on teaching on this long before this past week happened, and this past week is one huge dichotomy, um, right? Uh, which we have set up um, from a, a cultural perspective. You know, uh, there is a continued division that is happening from a lot of different ways and spaces over the events of what happened in the last week. There's many dichotomies that have been revealed. Right? And so you've got black and white, big dichotomy. You've got liberal and conservative, big dichotomy. You've got people who think they have answers and people who think they have no answers, big dichotomy. Division, comparison, right? The, 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 the level of emotion and the practicality of what happened throughout the course of the events that transpired this week will set us all on one side or another of an issue. That's oftentimes how we think of it. And so I'm over here and you're over here. And the goal is for us to like, think about these things. The have, have, have always existed. Um, they're particularly true in the Western mindset. We tend to think linear. The Eastern mind tends to think in circular patterns. We think linear. And so it's very much about like, where are you at? Where am I at? One of the big things a pastor will hear oftentimes is, um, I liked what you had to say today. I agreed with you. Or I didn't like what you had to say today. I disagreed with you. It's a dichotomy. So even as I'm speaking, a Western mind is going to be thinking about what I'm talking about. You're going to analyze it and think about it from your perspective and then be like, okay, so Jay's over here and I'm over here. And depending on how much emotion you feel about that will determine whether or not you like throw rotten vegetables or whether or not you shake my hand afterward, right? So, so like these dichotomies that we exist, they, they, they find us and, and, and it's really interesting the way that they do. Um, dichotomous thinking is very, very natural to the Western mind. Like you think in dichotomies, you absolutely do simply from the fact that you're Western. It's a part of our philosophical upbringing. It, it, it's how it works. Um And uh it, Finds itself to us in different ways. Like, for example, um, as a kid, I grew up in a really conservative Christian home, really conservative Christian tradition, and we were taught that there was Christian music, and there was secular music, right? And if you were a Christian, then you listened to Christian music, and secular music was something you stayed away from. Um, So when I was 15, we moved. Uh, I grew up over here across from the old Parker Ford Church, where we had this antenna attached to our chimney, and it would you know, pipe the TV channels in. And uh, when we moved to the new house, I moved about 20 miles down Route 100 and lived in Glenmore for my high school years. We we lived in this valley that was surrounded by trees and we got terrible TV reception. So my dad, in some act of Holy Spirit transformation, decided to get basic cable, Um, a small miracle in and of itself, but just the basic, you know, 3, 6, 10, 12, 17, 29, sometimes 57. It really depended on the week. Um... But what he didn't know, and I I swear this was the Lord, um, is that the cable company accidentally gave us MTV, which my folks never caught on to. Because if you just clicked like the channel up button, it would go 3, 6, 10, 12, 17. But if you hit 1, 6, it went to channel 16, which was MTV. So I'm a junior in high school. Growing up in this dichotomy of, like, here's Christian music and here's secular music, and it's about 1130 at night, my parents are asleep, and and I discover eh, music television. And when, I, when it went on, it, it was the end of a Madonna video, um, so that was interesting. And, but then it segued into, like, this really beautiful music. This mandolin started playing, and there was, like, this light rhythm in the background, and uh, I didn't realize it, but what was to become my favorite band of the nineties, um, REM, had just released their Losing My Religion video, which is a really, really interesting song. And if you're a child of the nineties like I am, you know, it was it was a huge, it was a huge hit. And here's a guy playing really beautiful music, asking really good questions, and having an experience of some kind or other that I didn't fully understand, but there wasn't anything wrong. And I remember thinking to myself that night, like why am I not allowed to listen to this? Because if I got really honest with myself, I had some of the same questions that he had. So I was like, huh. That's, it it revealed to me a dichotomy that I looked at and was like, I'm I'm not sure this is a good way to think. Christian music, secular music. Then I started to grow up and I started to like learn and think more, and I started to think, man, I read, read the scriptures, the The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the whole thing belongs to him, Colossians 1, all things exist and hold together in Christ, and I began to, like, e- even, like, the, the kings make plans, and God chuckles about it, you know, and politicians and rulers, like, they make all kinds of national moves, and the Lord holds all those things together in and of himself, and, and God can take the entire universe and, and hold it within the palm of his hand, and I began to think to myself, "Huh. I wonder if maybe there isn't a divide between like what's spiritual and what's not spiritual. Like maybe God is revealing himself through all kinds of creative ways and I've just thought about it wrong. Maybe sacred and secular isn't a divide that actually exists. You know, maybe there's not Christian music and non-Christian music, maybe there's just like Christians who make music." And there's people who don't know God who make music, who on some level are all held together in Christ and love God or don't love God. But regardless, like what if we took that divide away and just let music be, be music and see what it is that God may or may not do in that? that? That was my own personal journey. I'm sure that you have things like that that you've come across in your own life that you've thought about. Right? If you're married, one of you is probably a spender and one of you is probably a saver. You know, and here's a dichotomy, and what do we do in that spot? You know, how do we handle finances based on this dichotomy that we exist in? This past week was a big dichotomy, big dichotomy, which is black and white. I found myself on Thursday night watching MTV with my kids. MTV and BET got together and decided to do host a town forum kind of a thing. It was like an hour from ten to eleven on Thursday night, and uh, and I watched this and um, they very smartly had all, everybody who facilitated the conversation was black, and uh, they had all kinds of people there in the audience and engaged all kinds of concepts and perspectives. It was very respectful. It was very truthful. It was very raw. I watched this and thought to myself, man, how did we ever get to this dichotomous place? And there's a lot of reasons why we're in this dichotomous place where there's black and white There's a lot of reasons why we're in this dichotomous place where some of us trust policemen and others of us don't. There's a lot of reasons why we're in the place where some of us believe in the political structure that is a republic, uh, you know, and there's others of us that aren't so sure about those things. And here we find ourselves, and you here, me here, dichotomies over here and over here, these differing opinions, these differing viewpoints, these differing ways that on some level we can't necessarily avoid. And some dichotomies are fine. Not all are terrible. But when we find ourselves in false dichotomies and false constructs that God did not give us, it becomes divisive places where we live separately from the way that God would have us. A big one in the church is like spirit and intellect, right? You've got a dichotomy, if you want to think of it like that up on the walls here, except in Christ, this is not a dichotomy. Spirit and truth is not a dichotomy. Because this seeming dichotomy actually exists within the government of God. You know what else does, and this is interesting, here's another dichotomy you and I struggle with as parents a lot of times, is justice and mercy. You know, here's justice over here, and here's mercy over here. When do I punish my kid, when do I realize they punished themselves enough? You know, and here's this strange dichotomy. You realize in God there is no tension between justice and mercy. God is fully just, fully just. God is fully merciful, all at the same time. And when God chooses to be just, it is not in opposition to His mercy. And when He chooses to be merciful, it is not in opposition to His justice. All of those things exist in Him. And you and I look at that and we listen to that and we're like, "Whoa, that's insane!" Like I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that. Exactly, that's God. Like that—that's what He does. Because God is not dichotomous at all. Everything is held together. God is God is one. That's what Israel, the first thing that the nation, nation of Israel learns. Behold Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the way that we love God with our mind has everything to do with how we think about God. How we choose to think about dichotomies matters. Understanding the dichotomies that we bring to various situations, that really, really matters. And a lot of times we think, well, here's a dividing line. Here's a differing viewpoint. Here, I'll take this week. Here's black and here's white. What do we do? Let's get together and talk at each other. We've been talking to each other a long time. Another big one in the Christian community historically was like the whole remember, like creation evolution debates. I remember I went to the University of Delaware when I was in high school for a big creation evolution debate. And there was an evolutionist over there, and there was a creationist over there, and these two guys talked to each other. And the evolutionist won. You know why? Because he was smarter, at least that night. That doesn't mean that anybody was right or wrong in the situation, though. It just means that, well, let's get two people together with differing viewpoints. You bring your smart person. We'll bring our smart person. Our two smart people will talk to each other. And then somebody will win, except nobody ever wins. It's just talking. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting very tired of talking especially when there's a level of emotion and importance and human lives that are being affected like they were this past week, asking good questions in real time, young black men being shot by white cops, right? Like this actually is something. But if we don't stop talking at each other about it, recognizing our dichotomies and figure something else out, then we are gonna be stuck forever. But what else is there? I mean, isn't that the whole point? It's like we sit down, we talk, we try and understand. I'm presenting to you, hopefully today, a better way to think about this. I would suggest that God has a better way for us to think about this. And I don't want to go to the racism thing because that's a whole other thing in and of itself. We'll go to the text to a dichotomy that I think that we've picked up uh, along the way that I think is very dangerous. And then we'll let that text sort of like reapply itself back to us. So go to Matthew chapter 11. So John the Baptist is like, I mean, he is the most popular celebrity of his day in in the nation of Israel. I mean, everybody loves John the Baptist. People travel without cars through the desert and to come and to hear John the Baptist preach and he preaches a hard word. And people still are just flocking to him. Like, Repent and turn. The kingdom of heaven is here. The Messiah is here. His name is Jesus. He baptizes Jesus. I and mean, John the Baptist sees the dove come out of heaven and he hears the voice of the Lord and Christ himself is standing there. He's got this incredible like, Trinitarian experience. And John the Baptist is this incredible man of God, so strong in the face of religious leaders who want to destroy him and tear him down. Like There, there is nobody who is more sold on the fact that Jesus is the Messiah than John the Baptist. And there is nobody who is more intent on the nation of Israel becoming a Messiah-led and Messiah-redeemed nation than John the Baptist, which upsets the establishment, as you can imagine. King Herod arrests John the Baptist, throws him in prison, and puts a death sentence on him. And he's going to be beheaded. And here this great, mighty man of God, Messiah believer, finds himself in prison, about ready to die. And he struggles. Chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, so this is John sending a question to Jesus through his messengers. Through his disciples. Are you the one who is to come or should we look for somebody else? Are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Folks, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist doesn't doubt. Like that's not in his vocabulary. That's not in his spiritual toolbox. Doubt. John the Baptist has been the most faithful believer. He's been the strongest advocate of the Messiah. He's been the one that went to bat for Jesus before the Pharisees time and time again. But here is John in a really, really very scary, very tough, very dark place in life, and he doubts. Now, this is a dichotomy in the Christian faith, isn't it? Because we're not supposed to doubt. Christians don't doubt. And if you do doubt, what's important? Believe. And if your faith's not working for you, what do you do? You work harder. <laughs> you work harder to believe. And we ask folks, you know, like when they come to Christ, now, did you really mean it? So we have this dichotomy that exists just in Christianity that says doubt is bad and faith is good. And doubt's over here and faith is over here. And if you doubt, something's probably wrong with you spiritually. And if you look like somebody who fully believes all the time, then you're probably a super Christian. If there was ever a super Christian, it was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist finds himself in a significant place of doubt. So how is the text like reconstructing this dichotomy for us? How is Jesus' greatest champion is his cousin? I mean, he's, he's like, these guys are tight, I would imagine. They grew up together. And now he's saying, are you really, are you the one or should we look for somebody else? I mean, there's even a little edge to that question. Is it really you or should we look for somebody else? Jesus, he's he's just Jesus. He's so awesome, I love Jesus. He, uh, He doesn't scold him, he doesn't chide the question. In fact, if you look at it, Not only is Jesus, John the Baptist, Jesus' greatest champion, but Jesus becomes John the Baptist. Look at this. Verse 4, Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. See, Jesus knows that John the Baptist knows the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 to 5, which is a messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy that the Messiah is going to come. And when he comes, he's going to make blind people see. He's going to make lame people walk. He's going to make deaf people hear. He's going to preach the good news to the poor and the oppressed. And so he says to John, John's question of doubt, is it really you or should we look for somebody else? Jesus just says, go tell John that Isaiah 61 is happening. It's not just in the book anymore. It's not just a sermon that we hear about at synagogue. Isaiah 61 is real. Like people are actually being made to see. People can actually hear who couldn't. People can walk who couldn't. The poor are being released. It's happening. And then Jesus takes this doubter. And for what it's worth, John the Baptist doubted way more than Thomas ever did. Let's give Thomas a break. Um, Thomas just asked good questions Uh, John the Baptist is in a tough dark spot here Jesus comes back and reinforces John the Baptist's faith But then look at what he does as the text continues As they went away Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John Because the crowds watching this had heard this exchange What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses What then did you go out to see? He's just coming back at him. Why did you make that trip? Why did you go out there? Was it just to be entertained? Or were you looking for a prophet? That's where he's at. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus just calls the greatest prophet who ever lived Just received, right? John the Baptist is the greatest prophet who ever lived. And John the Baptist just publicly doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus turns to the crowds and says, he's the one, he's the greatest prophet who ever lived. This dichotomy doesn't hold up. Doubt is bad, faith is good, and you should always be over here, and you're never allowed to go over here. And if you ever go over here, something's wrong with you spiritually. You should be over here all the time. And if you stay over here all the time, then that means that you're a really good Christian. That's a false dichotomy we've created. When in actuality, doubt and faith go hand in hand. Folks, think about it philosophically. If you cannot doubt, then you cannot believe. You are not a pre-programmed robot. You don't have hard wiring that tells you how to be a certain way. If you can't think... And if you can't ask good questions, then you certainly cannot choose to live by faith. Faith and doubt are two two sides of the same coin. Frankly, those who are willing to ask the hard questions are the ones who can most live by faith. People who choose to live by faith but never ask the good questions are people who oftentimes turn into the robots. And then when the storms of life hit, nobody knows what to do because doubt isn't allowed. It's off the table. But John the Baptist here, Jesus completely blows this dichotomy apart. He receives the doubt in question. He affirms his, uh, his cousin. He affirms his messenger. Then he turns to the crowd and says, this is a great one. You want to you be like somebody? Think like this. Isn't that what Jesus does? Like, bring me, your, bring me your stuff. Bring me your junk. Bring me your sin. Bring me your questions. Come on, let's have them. Let's have them. That's another, that's another dichotomy that Jesus blows up, right? Which is that if you're a Christian, then everything should be good, right? And, and, and even the hard stuff in life, you can just believe. You can quote verses to yourself. You can sing songs, and you'll be good, Right? Because, I mean, isn't that what the Bible says? All things work together for good. God forbid that all hell breaks loose in your life and you find yourself over here on the doubting side of things and you're like, I don't even know if what God is saying is true. And then what happens? Sort of like, oh, pray for brother so-and-so. He's doubting. Or is brother so-and-so believing because he's willing to be where he is and to think with God about what it means to be where he is and how to engage this stuff? And so Jesus just takes these dichotomies and he, he explodes them. He blows them away. I mean, this is Jesus himself lives in a dichotomy at, at one point that we oftentimes put him into, which is Jesus, he lived by perfect faith, right? Until you find him in the Garden of Gethsemane begging God, don't make it have to happen this way. Like, I don't want the cross. You realize Jesus did not want the cross. But he refused to not love his father. I mean, I believe Jesus died for us because he loved us, but I think he died more because he loved God. Not my will, but yours be done. Like, I'm, I'm not going to not be the son of God. And there's release. Like, it, it's Jesus himself. Like, in, in that spot of, like, I don't want this. But that's not a faith-filled existence. According to the Son of God, yes, it is. And if we just let the text be the text and take our assumptions and presuppositions away from it and let these humans be humans, what we'll see is people struggling to live in dichotomies the same way you and I struggle to live in dichotomies. Honestly, does anyone here have a good answer to what happened in Dallas? Anybody here have any new thoughts that haven't already been said 7 million times? I mean... Dr. King said it best, and nobody's listening to anything that he said, right? So, I mean, I'm not—the last thing we need is more words in this dichotomous situation. What do we need? I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue what we need. But I do believe that God does, that God knows exactly what we need. We get so busy in our talking points, and we get so busy from our talking postures— Right. And one person watches Fox News and the other person watches CNN. And here we are getting all of our news from our other dichotomous places, be it liberal or conservative, be it black or white. We all go to our different media outlets and we all hear this opinion from this person, this opinion from this person. We have black friends. We have white friends. Everybody's got opinions about what this is like, what it's not like. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. What I am saying is none of those things are eternally true answers that can heal the brokenness and chaos of what actually happened. And our dichotomies keep us trapped in the modes and spheres of thinking that got us into the situation to begin with. When in the meantime, there's an incredible, loving God who is not dichotomized, who is fully one, who's not afraid of your hard questions, who's not terrified of your pain, who actually says, bring it to me. I commend the people who ask the hard questions. And when we bring them He brings himself into the situation. Because what we don't need is this or this necessarily. What we do need is God. And this is what Jesus gives us time and time again. Another dichotomy that people live in is people think, I either need to be living for myself or I need to be religious. And so when they think about church or Jesus, it automatically gets tossed into like a religious construct. Like a, a, a religion. Like, like, okay, yeah, now I've grown up. I sort of like went to college and got a career. I got married. I have kids now. What do my kids need? My kids would probably go to church. So let's go back to church so that my kids can go to church. But they think about it themselves, not from a relational perspective. They think about it from a religious perspective because their kids need church. That's a dichotomous way of thinking. That's a split apart from who they actually are. It's a split apart from what their family actually is. And we tend to think about this dichotomy of, like, here's me living life on my own, and here's me living life religiously. And religion is good, right? I mean, helping people is good. Caring about people is good. Religion seems to do active things to help people. Good. Except not good. Not good at all, because that's a false dichotomy. That's not what Jesus offers. Jesus doesn't fit into one of these molds, he doesn't fit into one of these boxes, but he does understand the dichotomy. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus unveils three dichotomies number one he says when you pray don't pray like you would pray right don't play don't pray naturally don't pray like the pharisees would pray right dichotomy boom gone don't do this and don't do this so here's you on your own here's the way the pharisees do it the religious structure does it jesus says don't do it like this and don't do it like this instead pray like this and he offers a third way then he says, when you give, don't give like you would give. Don't give like the Pharisees give. They're very arrogant when they give. Instead, give like this. When you fast, don't fast like you would fast. Don't fast like the Pharisees fast. Instead, fast like this. Right, Tim Keller teaches on this, and he calls these things third places. It's a great way to think about it. And that's what Jesus does. I think Jesus is in the business of destroying false dichotomies and of offering Third places where it's not how you would do it and it's not how religious structures are trying to do it or social structures or classist structures right? or elitist structures or socioeconomic structures or artistic structures or any of those kinds of things. It's not how you would do it naturally. It's not the things that you would oftentimes look to. Rather, it's this. Think about it like this. Engage this. Lose the dichotomies. Think with Christ. Receive the third way. The thing about receiving the third way and about being in that spot is that takes active listening, active work. It takes a mind and a heart that is willing to tune out the natural way I would think about things, that is willing to tune out I've always been told to think about things and rather an active engagement with God, either individually or together, corporately. You can do this as a nation. Nations are, the scriptures say, nations can listen to God. So, I mean, we've been living in dichotomies for all, all of our existence. What would it look like for America to stop doing it our way, to stop doing it the way we've always tried to do it, and instead to engage God, who alone has the healing that we need. I mean, I mean, who didn't watch TV this past week and be like, seriously, you got?" I mean, this is unreal. And, and not just from a racial perspective, but I mean, we still have mass shootings taking place. That just happened in Orlando. We still, we, st- we still have a whole elementary school of kids that got destroyed, right? We still have people that gathered for a prayer meeting in South Carolina, and a guy sat with that group of people for an hour While they prayed for him, and then he shot him. For the same racially motivated concepts. Like if, if 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 those things, even and there's way, way more, we all know that, but even if those things that I just mentioned, those actual historical occurrences, don't blow your mind and overwhelm your spirit, I don't know what will. But I know it does. What are we gonna do in that spot? Keep talking? At some point, at some point, this has got to be about God. And then just to make a quick application on the end for you, we, we at some point, I would suggest to you, this is then about the church. Because we are the people of God. We, we are the hands and feet of God. And God is very much in the business of blowing up false dichotomies and very much in the business of inviting his people to the warm embrace of himself and of what the wisdom is that he has for us. And he's inviting continually into this place. But if the church is not willing to leave its dichotomies, its false dichotomies in order to receive and step toward God and step toward his wisdom and step toward his life and toward his love and to discern that together and to walk in that powerfully, in all spheres of our lives, then the wisdom will continue to go missing and the dichotomy will continue to grow in power. And we'll find ourselves in the same spot that we've always found ourselves. And if we keep doing what we've always done, then we will always be what we have always been. And if lessons and experiences like the past week don't teach us that we, don't, we can't keep doing this, and that our former attempts at trying to figure it out are not working. And if the people of God do not actively begin to engage their minds with Christ and to live that powerfully in the worlds and situations around them, then that wisdom will continue to go missing and the dichotomy will continue to grow in power and we will continue to ask ourselves the same questions and come up with the no answers. It's one thing for we, the church, to say that we value peace and love, that we value harmony and that we desire it and that we want it for the world. But the way that we want it for the world is we tell the world, we have it here, come get it. What we see in Jesus is an active going, an active movement, an active expression of who he is and the fullness of who he is and the world around him. And he's engaging this person here and this person here and this sphere of culture here and this sphere of culture here. And he's talking to a rich young ruler over here. This guy had some authority. And he's got a little kid on his lap with no authority over here. No, but this is Jesus. This is what he does. And he's changing things because he's always himself wherever he goes. And we, the church, are being called away from compartmentalizing our lives and back to a wholeness, a oneness with God, away from these dichotomies. We receive the truth of God's oneness and step in the oneness, in the wisdom that he gives us from that one perspective, from his perspective, the perspective that he prays for in John 17, that they may all be one. He doesn't pray for unity. He prays for oneness. Not that unity is bad. Unity is great. He prays for that too. But the oneness is the identity of the people of Christ. That doesn't mean we don't have our differences and our dichotomies. What it does mean is that He is our God and that at all costs we seek Him. The thing about God is that when He speaks, you got to (laughs) follow. He is God. And so the answers that we receive are oftentimes answers that we're sort of like, really? Seriously? Jesus and His disciples are walking, in the disciples voice of dichotomy. Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? So if you're sick or if you have a problem, sin, you're a sinner. If you don't, you're good. Dichotomy. Jesus teaches them by hocking a loogie in the dirt and playing with it. That's an interesting way to destroy a dichotomy. And he sets a man free and gives him sight in the strangest way that breathes such life into a whole community of people in John chapter 9. So interesting. And I think that God has these strategies for us. I think he has these thoughts for us. But Christians have gotten used to not thinking. And then when we don't think, we don't look at our assumptions and our values and it leaves us completely lost and misidentified with who we are scriptures say, come, let's reason together. The scriptures say, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The scriptures say, come and bring your head into the way that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then take that and activate it. Let the, the, let the false dichotomies go. God's third place is better. And in situations like we find ourselves in in the past week and the further situations that will continue to come, be it about racially divided stuff or any other number of things that we can be dichotomized about, there is one place where we will find wisdom and truth and what it is that we actually need, and that is God himself. And I know I'm saying something that preachers have said forever and ever, but it's worth saying again because it's worth calling to the people of God. Like, let's, let's find the third place. The other two places are not working but God does. And when we step toward him and seek his face, he answers. And I think that is the only option that we have. He is our hope. Nothing else is. God, thank you. Thank you for the way that you teach us, that you engage us, that you live with us, that you dwell with your people. We worship you. We love you. We thank you for your wisdom. You've given us in Christ. Continue, God, to mobilize, call your people, awaken your church, God, to move, to engage, to check into the game, to think, to connect with you and your wisdom. When our hearts and minds are overwhelmed by Things like we walked through and are continuing to walk through this past week, like, man, it's just too much. We don't have it. We do not have it. But you do. So we again voice our faith in you and look to see your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.